business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. We have a show that is absolutely pertinent to every South African, especially if you are in school, you have a child in school, you have a child in varsity, you have anybody that you know who's involved in the academia. And on the line with me, I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Linda Mayer, who's the operations and sector support um, specialist, universities of South Africa. Dr. Linda, welcome to High FM. Thank you. Thank you, Avi. As I should say, maybe welcome back to High FM. <laughs> Let's get straight into it. Uh, there was a lot of um, articles that were sent through with the press release. And um, as I went through them, I thought most of us have read these. We know what's going on. I think maybe I would like to focus on today is false news and the mysteries that are going on. Let's hear it straight from you. Let's go all the way back to the very beginning. Lockdown, is lockdown good? Is it bad? Is it what we need for school? Is it don't, what we, not what we need for school? Let's understand what's going on. So thank you. The, f- the first thing is around, let's just delineate schools and university students, because those are obviously very seminal topics, but, but uh, important that we distinguish between them. So for school-going children, I'm not a medical professional, but the South African Pediatric Association and the American Association of Pediatricians have confirmed that it is more detrimental for children to be out of school than to be in school. Now, as a parent, this is obviously a very personal decision, and we can see that that the infection rates amongst children are very low and the death rates are, are minuscule. But this is, is really not about what data and statistics says. It's about what parents want to do with their children. It's their decision, after all. If we think about TB that kills 550 people a week in South Africa, we must be realistic and within context see what this is and what the implication is. So where is the high mortality rate? It's in the people with comorbidities. It is in the people over 50. Some say 60, but, you know, we've seen that there's been high spikes in people from 50 onwards. So when we look at school children, it's really about saying what is realistic. So what is realistic is if you're looking at a township school, social distancing with 60 or 70 children in a classroom is ridiculous. It's not even impossible. It's ridiculous. So that is a very different discussion to private schools that are able to to practice social distancing. I see, for example, with my stepchildren, they're all in in Craig Hall and Craiglands, uh, just here around the corner. They're very strong social distancing, disinfecting uh, facilities. The kids are are very well trained. They have briefing sessions before they go. And all of these things then culminate to what is your level of comfort in exposing your child do you have the facilities to teach them at home? We must remember contextually, South Africa has over a, uh, one million children under six years of age that have one caregiver. And a lot of these people have gone back to work and these children are left completely unattended. We've seen higher rates of malnutrition. I'm sure you've seen in the news. So all of these things are, are contextual reality. So I don't really want to spend too much time in that because at the end of the day, a parent will decide whether they send their child to school or not. That's the, that's the bottom line. But when what's it come, that's yeah. coming out from the discussion is that, yes, there is definitely a risk factor of sending children back to school. But for the majority of South Africans, especially those in the lower LSMs, 
sending children to school is a far preferential method than staying at home and letting the family not survive financially. Absolutely. And we've seen with, with these malnutrition cases, and we're very, we're very grateful that in this lockdown period, the president has allowed that children can pick up food from the closest school to their home. So that because we might, the increased rates at Barra, if you speak to any medical practitioner there, is horrific if you hear what's going on there. People are coming in with malnutrition that we haven't seen in the last five or ten years. The rates are absolutely detrimental. And also, you know, scientific evidence shows us that the long-term psychological effect from keeping your children away from social engagement has depressive effects. It has long-term emotional and psychological effects that is not just going to be, it's not just going to be a one-year or two-year impact. It's going to be a very long-term implication that we're going to deal with. You know, unfortunately, we've seen that um, over the years, issues like bullying, issues like sexual abuse in schools, which were never really dealt with 20, 30 years ago. All of a sudden, we're seeing adults now with trauma stemming all the way back to that time, that time. And I'm not equating one with the other, but what I'm saying is that there's clearly some scientific evidence that events that happen now have a long-term event going forward. And all you're doing is highlighting that this is an event that can possibly have an effect on a student going forward. Yes, and in, in all likelihood and all probability, it would have. And I think if we all just look into our own homes, how your children have reacted, being detached from their friends how they have have really become almost reclusive and looking forward to these little bits of engagement. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that that is the one thing. But the fundamental question in everyone's mind is, is my kid going to get through this academic year? And what's going to happen when they need to go to university? So I think, you know, all of these other... I'm going to see a whole lot of parents saying, okay, stop about the fluff. Get to the point that's going to happen. No, absolutely. So what is the story? All right, so with the schools, there is going to be a delay in the marks being released. That's for sure. We can see already uh, children have lost, in some instances, 60 to 67 days of schooling. And then we must understand, even though we say 60 to 67 days, a lot of these schooling things have been rotational. It's been half day. So the, the impact has been detrimental. So but I must also give kudos to the Department of Basic Education. They have done the best they can within very trying situations. So are they going to finish? Yes, they are going to finish. Grade 12 and grade 7, that's where the energy is, is going into. Will they, the academic year within universities require 27 weeks to complete. So the, you know, there are 20 universities that have already started with emergency remote teaching and learning. The one thing we must understand is it's not just saying, in university, my child is in university and there's now online learning. It's not a panacea. They're not UNISA for this. It's emergency, it's remote, and it is a different modality. So when are universities going to finish? By our projections, uh, it will be in the, the second month or the third month of 2021. So we're speaking about an extended 2020 and a compressed academic year for 2021. So there will be class time will be extended, holidays will be compressed. And we this is a 24-month program that we're seeing the two consecutive academic years in. Well, we're talking about universities specifically. 
Yes, so it's, it's, it stands to reason that if universities are going to have the problem, that schools will have a similar situation to, to deal with. Obviously, when they are in the younger grades, it's easier to, to catch up. I don't think we'll just catch up in, in one or two years, but I mean, the, the application is, is not as constrained as it is within tertiary education. So the students at higher risk is grade 10, 11, and 12, and then obviously grade 6 and 7, where our energies need to be focused on making sure that these students are prepared. Because we must remember that first years need a place. If final years aren't finishing, how are these first years supposed to get into the university? So we need the 27 weeks. We, we're confident as the, as the academic year is going now, that we've opened 20 universities, we've got the 33% students, there are different modalities that the academic year for the final years will finish. And that's where our focus is. You would have seen those are the people we brought back and the clinical students, that they will complete the academic year so that the new students can start within March. That's our anticipation, within March. So you must remember we also had subs and all of these things historically. So universities really only got going towards the end of Feb, beginning of March, in, in a normal academic year. Which is actually when lockdown happened. So, you know, it, it sort of overlapped. But Linda, the, the questions that are flooding my screen right now are mainly from matric um, parents or parents of students in matric. The, the questions are, will it finish? So we know the answer, yes, they will finish. The question, the two other predominant questions are when, and the other one is basically how. Would it be the full syllabus? Will it be a diluted syllabus? How do you see it? So from all information and, and all uh, areas where, where I'm involved in, they will complete within this 2020 academic year. So they will complete within December, grade 12. It might have a spillover. We don't know how the pandemic is going to unfold, but we are confident that the, the grade 12s will finish before January, because there must be marks released, which by our information is said to be the end of January, and that the academic year for universities will start in March. Okay, so the bottom line is that December beach holidays um, are going to happen at the end of 2021. People just need to understand that it's unusual times. And yes, um, the academic year is going to finish. The one needs to, one needs to just be patient and allow it to finish. Linda, let's take a quick break. We need to run to the shops. Craig, if you can play some ads, and we'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Let's get into it. So what we end up by saying is that Matrix will finish twenty year, the 2020 academic year. They might finish well into December. Universities are going to sort of spill over into 2021. When is the 2021 academic year for universities going to start? So the academic year for universities will start mid-March or towards the end of March. I just want to go back, Avi, to one of the sure. questions that was asked about whether the curriculum will dilute, be diluted. Thank so, you. So importantly, outcomes are assessed. And how rigorously these outcomes are engaged in will be detrimental to the students. So I can't say that the curriculum will be diluted or not, but I think from all accounts, what we've heard, schools have given indications that their teaching and learning, the academic program, is on track. Be it that students now have to do a lot more self-engagement, self-teaching and learning, and parents have had to carry a huge burden around that. The outcomes are still going to be assessed the way that they are. 
Which brings us to the question, do, you know, once again, as we always say, that you can't fail grade 12. You only need 40% for two languages and and 33.3% for the other su- subjects. So please do the best you can so that you can get into university. Don't aim for the for the minimum. And it's it's absolutely astounding how parents have come to the party to support their students. It's been it's been remarkable. You know, Linda, just uh, someone who's got a daughter in matric and someone whose wife is a teacher. Um, you know, eight thirty or eight o'clock in my home is a normal workday. Uh, you know, it's different Zoom sessions going on, um, and I've also just watched as an observer how there's a different modality that has crept in. Teachers have to reinvent themselves, and you know, I, I, I've just been really impressed by, especially older teachers, where technology is not their friend and they haven't been used to it. Embracing getting used to it, Zoom becoming like a, a, another finger in their body, so to speak, that they've just got so comfortable with it. And ultimately, it's what's expected of teachers is to to morph and to grow and to develop. But the the bottom line is that they haven't dropped the ball. And here I'm talking about private schools where things have just continued. But are we running out of time? And I just want to bounce something off you that I article I saw on CNN where um, parents who are sending their children to Harvard were asking, is it still worth 50,000 US dollars a year for Zoom? What's your feeling on that? So I think there's been, for traditional institutions, use costs that have to have been uh, incurred and this cost will be emulated over a number of years. So why is it that you go to university? You go to university to get a specific skill or profession so that you're more employable or you're able to start your own business. That's why you go. So the question fundamentally is now where you study, whether that is important and whether it's still necessary to have face-to-face teaching and learning that happens. So unfortunately in South Africa, it it is a well-known fact that we employ preferentially from specific institutions. That's why it is our first choice to go to the UCTs or the Witzes or the Stellenbosch. So let's not delude ourselves about that. So is it is it going to be that people are still going to pay $50,000 to go to Harvard? In my opinion, yes, because when they leave with a degree there, their chances of getting employment and being remunerated at a much higher level will stand the test of time and has stand the test of time for hundreds of years. So it's a different teaching and learning modality and commitment as at the end of the day for the, for the learner or the student or the educator, the teacher and the lecturer is really what brings us to, to the point where we are now. Linda, the last question, and maybe it's ending off on not such a positive note. What a lot of people are asking is that we've seen a lot of controversy around teachers. And here they, I think they're referring specifically to to rural schools, to schools that are poorly equipped, where there's maybe a feeling that the teachers are taking a bit of a liberty and not teaching when they should be teaching. It's very easy for me to sit in my ivory tower behind my screen and and, and make uh, make comments. But if a teacher doesn't have a way of teaching remotely and a lot of these schools don't even have basic toilet uh, facilities, never mind uh, fiber installed, what, what's your feeling? What's your experience been with with these rural schools that have really borne the brunt of not being able to learn? So I think it is. It, it's a. It's a. It's not just a COVID nineteen issue. 
I think in areas where, that are really remote, they haven't been exposed to the COVID-19 pandemic. So many of them have been able to continue within this uh, construct. But I think the issue for just generally, you know, children walking 15 kilometers one way to school and 15 kilometers back and not having flushing toilets and being disadvantaged to the level that they are is just inhumane. And at the end of the day, it's only us that can can change that, and, and we know what it is. So I don't really want to get into a political debate around it, but I think where we are able to help, you know, just a small thing, just during this time, during lockdown, as much as we're inward looking, just, you know, make a couple of sandwiches, just do something good for people as we go along the way, because this is all about social solidarity, and we need to get through this. You know, we can whine and bitch all we like. The reality of where we are now, who has to see us forging a way forward and planning forward and not being entrenched in our absolute despondency of, of what is unfolding around us. Nanda, just before I let you go, please can you just let me know what your role is? I mean, as I read up earlier on, your operations sector supported universities are South Africa, but what is your role and how do people get in touch with you? So I'm the Director of Operation and Sector Support, which is the Chief Operations Officer for University South Africa. University South Africa is the body that represents the 26 public universities in South Africa. Our board is constituted of the 26 vice-chancellors of the respective public universities. They want to email me, very welcome, linda.mayer, M-E-Y-E-R, at usaf, U-S-A-F, dot A-C dot Z-A. Fantastic, Linda. Thank you for being so straightforward. Thank you for being so blunt and honest. Um, and that's really what we needed to hear. And everything of the best to you. And uh, thank you for the, just the support that our students get um, and are able to go forward. Really appreciate it. Thank you thank very much. Thank you, Abby. Very... Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye.